Uh, We all believe this song that we just concluded the praise package with this morning, God Will Make a Way by Don Moen. Uh, I tell you, it's one of my favorite songs. I never tire of singing this song. And we all believe this about God. Uh, There's not a one of us here who would likely raise our hand and say, this isn't our God. He is good. He is faithful. And He is working for us in ways that are often unseen. But I have to be honest, it's much easier to sing this song when times are going well, isn't it? Uh, It's a whole lot easier to sing it when things are going our way. When hardships, reversals, when troubles have entered our life, when questions hit us, then this is a song that's very, very hard to sing. In fact, if we are not careful in times of trouble, we may begin to think and act in ways that indicate we really don't believe this about God. Uh, A.W. Tozer, who uh, has blessed so many people, one time made this very penetrating statement. He said, Were we able to extract from any man a complete answer to the question, What comes into your mind when you think about God? We might predict with certainty the spiritual future of that man. That's a profound statement, isn't it? That is very insightful. In other words, uh, our view of God and what we really believe about Him is the most important thing about us. And during hard times, when God seems absent, it is especially important that we think right about Him. Amen this morning? Absolutely. Now we have begun a series of messages on the book of Ruth. Do you remember what happened to Naomi, the chief character in chapter 1? Remember that? She lost her homeland because of famine. Then she lost her husband because of death. Then she lost the prospect of grandchildren because of infertility. Then her sons were lost because they died. And because of all of that, she as a widow lost her identity. Do you know for the first time after all of this happening over uh, well over 10 years, Naomi speaks for the first time? And she's bitter. She's bitter. Is anyone surprised? Is anyone surprised after all of this that Naomi is bitter? She is not thinking right about God. And let me just say right from the outset, she is wrong. She's absolutely wrong. All the while, God was making a way for her. And what He does for her in this opening chapter is step by step, He begins to restore her to right thinking. This morning, I want to continue and turn back to the book of Ruth. And this morning, I want to bring a message entitled, How God Makes a Way. Do you think any of us will need this in the year 2015? I think we will. And what I want us to do is I want us to see Naomi's mistaken thinking versus God's actual working. 
Do any of us have this mistaken thinking this morning? If we do, God wants to correct us. Let's take our Bibles and turn to Ruth chapter 1. If you want to turn in the Bible underneath the seat in front of you, you can turn past the first few books of the Old Testament. You'll come to the book of Ruth right after Judges, right before 1 Samuel. And let's look together this morning at how God corrects our thinking. Now here's the very first uh, thing that Naomi was mistaken about. She thought that God was judging her for her sin. Let's open with verse 6 and, and notice what it says. When she heard in Moab that the Lord had come to the aid of His people by providing food for them, Naomi and her daughters-in-law prepared to return home from there. With her two daughters-in-law, she left the place where she had been living, the country of Moab, and she set out on the road that would take them back to the land of Judah. Now, if we look again at the map of uh, the ancient Near East, we can begin to see their journey home. Uh, they left uh, the plateau, the plains of Moab. It was about 70 to 100 miles. Uh, they went north of the Dead Sea through the Jericho Pass. It would have taken a week for them, and they were on foot. And here are three devastated, lonely widows with a very uncertain fate. Isn't this just a poignant scene as we open up this story? And as we continue, the very first thing that comes out of Naomi's mouth is she thinks all of this has happened because God has judged her for some sin that she has committed. Uh, look down with me at what she begins to say starting in verse 8. Then Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go back, each of you, to your mother's home. May the Lord show kindness to you as you've shown to your dead and to me. May the Lord grant that each of you will find rest in the home of another husband. Then she kissed them and wept aloud and said to her, or, uh, and said to her We will go back with you to your people. That's what the daughters in law said. But Naomi said, No. Return home, my daughters. Why would you come with me? Am I going to have any more sons who could become your husbands? Return home, my daughters. I am too old to have another husband, even if I thought there was still hope for me, even if I had a husband tonight and then gave birth to sons. Would you wait until they grew up? Would you remain unmarried for them? No, my daughters. It is more bitter for me than for you. Now notice this, because the Lord's hand has gone against me. Notice in verses 20 and 21, when she finally returns home, what she says. Don't call me Naomi, she told them. Call me Mara. Because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me. Uh, the NIV text note and many of our translations say, the Lord has testified against me. A very good translation of the Hebrew word, the Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. Now here's what Naomi is saying. 
She sees herself as in court with God. Uh, She is uh, the defendant. God is the prosecutor. She said, God has now found me guilty. And now in verse 13 she says, He is attacking me by what has come upon me. His hand has gone out against me. She views God. Follow this imagery. She she views him as a warrior who is raising his hand and attacking her with all the calamities that have come upon her. I just want to stop right here and say, can you imagine a child of God viewing God this way? Can you? But how easy it is for us to do this, especially when we're hurting. Uh, Naomi is essentially taking the viewpoint of Job's three miserable friends. Remember them? Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar. Remember what they did? They came to Job, who was suffering. All this had come upon him. And they said to him, essentially these words, Job, you brought this trouble on yourself because of your sin. God is punishing you. Therefore, fess up. And that's exactly how Naomi feels. But what was the truth? What was the truth? The truth is, God was blessing her with grace. That's the truth. Four elements in this story reveal the ongoing grace of God in the life of Naomi. Uh, Look back at verse 6. She heard good news that God had lifted the famine and now she could go home. That was the grace of God. She heard that God had come to the aid of His people. That is a technical word that means God came and visited His people with blessing. He sent the rains. He caused the crops to grow. And as we're going to see, she returns home when the harvest is now ripe. God was blessing. And then she heard that God was blessing His people. And Naomi was one of those people. She was a child of God. And then she heard in verse 6 that God had given them bread. Uh, doesn't that remind you of this petition in the Lord's Prayer? Give us this day our daily? Yeah. God was answering prayer. Listen, how easy it is for us to conclude in bad times that God is angry and He's letting us have it. How easy it is for us to conclude that. I had a professor in Bible college who said one of his pet peeves is when something very, very bad would happen to someone and somebody else would say, I wonder what they did wrong to deserve this. I can still hear Dr. Hakes saying, when I hear people respond that way, it burns me up. And I never, never forgot that. Now the Bible says this. The Bible tells us that God does discipline His children. But... He does not condemn us or attack us. That's true, isn't it? Jesus said in John 3, whoever believes in the Son 
is not condemned. God has already condemned His Son upon the cross, so for every believer in Jesus, condemnation is now over. That's worth saying amen to this morning, isn't it? Yeah. Now, Hebrews chapter 12 does tell us that God disciplines us. But here's what it says. Discipline is because of God's love. And God's discipline is always done for our good, for our benefit, so that we might grow and be more like Him. And discipline demonstrates that we are the children of God. In fact, the Bible says, if you don't have discipline from the Lord, that's an indication you don't even belong to Him. Because a a, a father lovingly disciplines his children. But here's the point we have to understand. Even when God is training us as a child, it's His grace abounding to us. And so we have to affirm this this morning. As children of God, we are never in a place where we are not the recipients of God's grace. Never. Anthony Cowper was a great hymn writer. His pastor was John Newton, who wrote Amazing Grace. Anthony Cowper was a a great hymn writer who struggled with depression even to the point of suicide and John Newton would minister to him. Anthony Cowper wrote some of our greatest hymns. Here's one of his great lines. Judge not the Lord by feeble sense but trust Him for His grace. Behind a frowning providence He hides a smiling face. And how true that is. Now here's the second mistake that Naomi made. Secondly, Naomi thought that God answered prayers for others, but not for her. Look again at verses 8 and 9. I want you to notice that these are prayers for her daughters-in-law. Then Naomi said to her daughters-in-law, go back, each of you, to your mother's home. Now, notice her two requests. May the Lord show you kindness to you as you have shown to your dead and to me. May the Lord grant, second request, that each of you will find rest in the home of another husband. Now, do you notice this? She is praying for her daughters-in-law. Do you know in these verses that we've read, four times she urges her two daughters-in-law to go back home to Moab. She was so convinced God was against her, she saw herself as only being trouble. So essentially what she is saying to them, the sooner you are done with me, the better. You cannot possibly experience blessing if you stay with me. But isn't it amazing? Even with that attitude, in spite of this, She prayed for them and their futures. Now I want you to notice the things that Naomi believed about God. She believed in the sovereignty of God. Uh, Down in verses 20 and 21, twice she mentions uh, God as the Almighty. That's the Hebrew word Shaddai. It's the word that Abraham would refer to God with. And it refers to Him as the sovereign, powerful God. 
Then she believed that she had a personal relationship with God because back in verses 8 and 9, she uses the Lord's personal name, Yahweh, which stands behind the word Lord. So she essentially prays twice, may Yahweh do something for you, and I'm in a personal relationship with him. And then she believed that God answered prayer because she says in verse 9 to her daughters-in-law, may God grant you rest, which meant security and safety. Look at all this woman believed about God. And yet she didn't pray for herself. Wow. In fact, do you know what God was doing for her? All the while, God was answering prayer for her right then. Drop down to this amazing testimony of Ruth, her daughter-in-law. Now next week we will go into this testimony uh, far more in depth. You cannot pass over one of the greatest testimonies of faith in the whole Bible without going deep into it. But let me read it for you, and then let me just pick it apart very quickly to let you notice how God was already answering prayer for Naomi. As they wept again, then Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye, but Ruth clung to her. Look, said Naomi, now it's the fourth time. Your sister-in-law is going back to her people and her gods. Go back with her. But Ruth replied, Don't you urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if anything but death separates you and me. When Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. And all God's people said, Wake up to what God is doing, right? God was answering prayer for her right this very moment. Now, let's notice everything that God was doing for Naomi right through Ruth. Naomi had lost her country. Ruth was now willing to give up her country for Naomi. Naomi thought God was against her. Ruth now says, I've come to believe in this God and He is for us. Naomi thought she was alone. Ruth says to her, I will never ever leave you. And Naomi lost her family. Now Ruth says, I'm becoming your family. What an amazing answer to prayer God was giving to Naomi. Everything she prayed for Orpah and Ruth, God was providing her. Uh, this last week I was talking to Ellen about this, and I asked her this question. I said, why would Naomi pray for her daughters-in-law, but then not pray that God would do the same for herself? You know what Ellen said? I thought this was very insightful. She said, that's the way we are. She said, we do for others, but we don't think anything should be done for us. That's exactly the way we are. And when we are hurting, we feel even more that way. 
But here's what the Bible is saying to us. God is always answering prayer. Amen this morning? God is always answering prayer in His way. Let's notice this third mistake that she made. Thirdly, she believed that circumstances would control her future, not a good God. Now, Naomi had four fears in her conversation with her daughters-in-law that she expresses. First of all, she was afraid that when they arrived back in Judah, as Moabites, they would have no friends. In verse 8, when she says to them, uh, go back to your mother's home in uh, Moab, essentially what she is saying is as Moabites, if you come with me to the land of Judah, you are going to experience racial prejudice. And you are going to be outcasts who have a very, very difficult time. So uh, Orpah and Ruth, you'd be far better off going back home to your mother's home rather than coming to me. This person God is judging in her mind and you don't stand a chance of having friends. Secondly, she was afraid they'd have no family. Down in verse 11, she says, uh, why would you come with me? Am I going to have more sons who could become your husbands? Now, when her two sons, uh, Malone and Kilion, were in Moab, there were nobody else to marry but Moabites. So they had no choice. But in Judah, where they were going, there were all kinds of Jewish girls and so she's saying, you can't believe there are going to be any Jewish men that are going to choose to marry two Moabite women when there are so many Jewish girls available. Thirdly, Naomi believed she would have no fertility. In verses 12 and 13, let me read them for you again. Return home, my daughters. I am too old to have another husband. Even if I thought there was still hope for me, even if I had a husband tonight and then gave birth to sons, would you wait until they grew up? Would you remain unmarried for them? No, my daughters. It is more bitter for me than for you because the Lord's hand has gone out against me. Naomi is referring here to the Old Testament custom of leveret marriage found in Deuteronomy 25. And here's what God said. If a man has a, a wife and has no children and he dies, the nearest single brother is required by the law of God to marry that widow. And the very first son that is born to that marriage is considered his deceased brother's descendant so that his family line would continue in Israel. What Naomi is saying is, listen, I'm now in my 50s. I am post-menopausal. There is no way that I'm going to have any more sons. And even if I could, 
by the time they grow up and would be forced to marry you, you yourselves would be too old. You could no longer have a family. So Naomi is saying to them, this is the only option for you. Time has run out and it is not going to happen. And so her fourth fear, they would have no future. She says in verse 9, Go back home, you'll find rest in the home of a husband in Moab. Rest there means security and safety in marriage and family for a woman of that day. And as you know, a woman without family in that day, a widow without family, was absolutely destitute. So notice the four fears. There's going to be no friends. There's going to be no family. There's going to be no fertility. And there will be no future. Hey, Naomi's got it all worked out, doesn't she? Doesn't she? This can't happen. This won't happen. That can't take place. This won't come about. Oh, don't bring that up. I've already got that figured out. That won't happen. She's got everything all factored in except God. Right? Don't you want to enter the story at this point and say, What can God do? What can God do? Isn't it amazing in the troubles of our life we believe in a God who can do the impossible? And yet we factor everything in as we look at the situation. And because we factor everything in, humanly speaking, in our own minds and in our own reason, we forget about the God who is the God who can do the impossible. And we are just like Naomi. But what was God actually doing? God was controlling her future, not circumstances. Look down at verse 24. Notice what it says when she arrived. Now Naomi returned from Moab, accompanied by Ruth the Moabitess, her daughter-in-law, arriving in Bethlehem as the barley harvest was beginning. Now we cannot get too far ahead here in the story because uh, we can't give away what's going to be coming. But they arrive exactly at the harvest time. And here's what Ruth does. She goes out in the fields and she gleans the leftovers, which the law of God said poor people could do. She just happens to go into a field owned by a man named Boaz, who just happens to be a near relative. And when he sees Ruth, and here's what she has done for Naomi. He is impressed with her character. And he begins to do favors for Ruth that abundantly provide for her and her mother-in-law. Now would you follow this? The very circumstances that had deprived Naomi God was now using to bless her. 
Can I hear this morning, we knew God could do it? Can I hear that? The very circumstances, the famine, the loss of, of all of her family, God was now using that to provide for her as they return home during barley time and Ruth, this incredible woman, is following her. You see, God controlled her future, not her circumstances. When I was in Texas, I, I was dating a girl that I really wanted this relationship to go on towards marriage. And I will never forget the day that she broke up with me. Uh, she compared me to a former boyfriend, and she essentially said to me, you don't measure up. And I want you to know, here I'm a seminary student, and I've just been told by this woman that, you know, I hope this was going to really work out, that I don't measure up. And I want you to know that was a real blow to my self-esteem. I was really low following that experience. You know what I didn't know? I didn't know that back in my hometown, my very backyard, God was preparing the woman that He had for me. And He was just waiting for me to graduate, to move back home. And within a year and a half, we were dating. Uh, you know the thing that, many things impressed me about uh, Ellen. You know, one of the things impressed me about her? She loved me just for being me. I was never compared to any previous boyfriends or anybody else. I didn't have to be a knight in shining armor. I could just be Brian Oberg. And can you believe this? She loved me just because I was me. Seven months after we were married, the former girlfriend sent me a letter in Texas. She was in Kansas. Seeking to rekindle the relationship. I've often chided Ellen. I'm glad that letter didn't come seven months before the wedding. No, that's a joke. I wrote her back and wished her well. She's a very dear person, very dear lady. But I knew God's timing had been right. And what I thought was rejection on that sad day when she said to me, you don't measure up, was God's way of saying, I'm preparing somebody for you. Circumstances do not control those who follow Jesus. God does. Right? Circumstances do not control those who follow Jesus. God does. Let's look at her last mistake. Fourthly, Naomi believed she would have a lonely, unfulfilled future. Uh, when she returns, verses 20 and 21, she says, I want to change my name. Now, remember, in the Old Testament, names in the Bible reveal character and destiny. If someone took a new name, it meant they were believing that they would have a new character 
and they would have a new destiny. So in verse 20, Naomi comes home, and she's so bitter, she thinks God is against her, that she says, I don't want you to call me Naomi anymore, that means pleasant, I want you to call me bitter, Mara, because that means bitter. Now, this is what she's saying. This is how I feel in my heart, I feel bitter, and I'm going to be honest with you, this is what my destiny is. My destiny is bitter. By the way, do you know people that feel that way? Do you know people who feel, I will never be content, I will never be happy where I am at. I will always be somehow lacking and unfulfilled. Now, here's what I want you to notice. I want you to notice what God was actually doing. God gave her the richest source of blessing possible. Um, By the way, did you notice the author does not condemn Orpah? For going back to Moab. Did you notice that? Go back to verse 14. And the author does not condemn her. At this they wept again. Then Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye. After all this urging, four times urged, go home, go home, go home, there's no future with me. She did the logical thing and she went home. Anybody here blame her? But, did you see what it says about Ruth? Verse 14. Ruth clung to her. That's the same word used in Genesis 2.24 for marriage. Therefore will a man leave his father and mother and cleave, cling to his wife. It is the very same word for closeness in marriage. By the way, in the New Testament, when this word is translated, it is the word glue. Ruth, as a daughter-in-law, glued herself to Naomi. Uh, Can I say something to you today? Ruth is an extraordinarily special person. Amen? She is a person of faith and commitment. And God gave her to Naomi. One of the things that I've discovered over the years is this. God not only gives us what we need, but He gives us who we need. And over the years of my life, God has given me so many beautiful Christians that I have never, ever been unfulfilled. Never, ever. When you have Christians in your life who are like this woman, a person of faith and extraordinary commitment, it is not possible to be unfulfilled. Do you notice what she says? She returns home, and what does she say? She says, I'm empty. She returns home, she says, I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back, and now I'm empty. And standing right next to her is one of the most wonderful people in all of the scriptures, the book, uh, this woman, Ruth. How can she say when God has given her this woman, I am empty? You cannot say that. And I want to say to us this morning, 
if we will walk with God, if we will walk with God, God will give us whoever we need so that we will never be unfulfilled. God has always done that in my life. And God will do the same for you. We began this message by singing Don Moen's song, God Will Make a Way. And I love that song. Let me tell you the story behind it. Don's sister and her family were traveling on vacation through the panhandle of Texas at night. They were hit by an 18-wheeler. And all four children in the blackness of that night were hurled from the van. They found three of them by listening for their crying. The fourth one, a son, was found dead next to a fence with a broken neck. His father was a medical doctor who sat next to him for 45 minutes, helpless, as the ambulance came out in the night in the panhandle of Texas to pick up the body of his dead son. When Don Moen heard the news, he turned to Isaiah 43 and he read these words, I will even make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. He wrote the song for his sister that he might comfort her in days to come. He never anticipated that God would take that song and he would use it to bless millions. And the reason it is such a powerful song, and I'm so grateful we sang the verse as well as the chorus, is because it helps us to think rightly about God. This is the right way to think about God. God will make a way where there seems to be no way. He works in ways we cannot see. He will make a way for me. He will be my guide. Hold me closely to His side with love and strength for each new day. He will make a way. He will make a way. That's thinking rightly about God.
All God's people said, Amen. Let's bow our hearts together just for a moment. Father, thank you so much for your ways with your children. Lord, as we learn in the opening of this book, you do not spare us from tragedy and deep heartache. We face the circumstances of life just like anybody else. But Lord, you are so committed to us that you never withdraw your grace. And you have promised in your goodness, in your faithfulness, that you will provide what we need. You will sustain us so that we will say, you have made a way in the wilderness even streams in the desert. Father, Naomi must have walked with you for Ruth to have come to love her God as she did. Naomi must have been a child of God who trusted the Lord as her Savior and who must have lived for Him how else do we explain how Ruth learned about her God? And yet, Father, none of us, humanly speaking, could blame Naomi for the bitterness and despair that she felt. We have all at times felt the same way. Thank you that this is here to show us that you were bringing her back. You were restoring her to right and sound thinking. And you were actually blessing her. She just could not see it in the midst of her pity. And thank you, Lord, that this is how you are with us. I pray for a brother or sister today who is in a time of deep pain and uncertainty. Maybe it's gone on for a long time. Maybe it's been very hard to sing these words with much meaning. And I pray today that you will do a work of restoration in their life. Help them to see you as you really are. And help them, Lord, to adjust their thinking to the truth rather than the lies that they are believing. And may they find in the midst of that that you are fulfilling them and you are blessing them and you are there for them in a wonderful way. We trust you today. We love you today. We live for you, Lord, today. 
regardless of what may be our circumstances. For you are the God who makes a way. Thank you and we'll praise you, Lord, today. For Jesus' sake. Amen.